Dear congregation, just moments ago, we witnessed the baptism of two members of the congregation. That water being sprinkled on their foreheads as a seal of God's covenant. That water is also a sign of the blood of Christ. And it raises that question, what is the relationship between baptism and that blood and that covenant? And what is the message for that, of that for us today as we gather whether we are young or are older? And to receive instruction, we go back into the wilderness. In that wilderness where we find many, many tents, but on that day, the people were not in their tents. They were gathered around the, the, by the base of Mount Sinai. These are the people of Israel on this special day where we hear Moses speaking and we see the smoke rising from an altar and we also see him sprinkling. In this account, God is revealing something to us which further tells us what baptism is about. It's the sprinkled blood of the covenant. That's our theme, the sprinkled blood of the covenant. Let us prayerfully listen to, first, the need for blood. Second, the message of sprinkling. And third, the enjoyment of covenant, the need for blood, the message of sprinkling, and the enjoyment of God's covenant. First then, the need for blood. Exodus 24 is set between Israel having come to Mount Sinai and heard the law, which we read in Exodus 20, and the building of the tabernacle, which takes place later. At this point, God had already summoned Israel to gather and to hear his voice as he spoke to them. You recall how he spoke from the, from the mount out of the thunder and the lightning, and he spoke with such a majesty and an authority that the people trembled and quaked, and they said to Moses, let not God speak to us lest we die. Speak thou, let God speak to thee, Moses, and you speak to us. Moses then drew near in the thick darkness where God was and God spoke to him. And now Moses had returned and verse 3 tells us that he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And notice what they say in response. All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. Beautiful. And then Moses writes down those words of the Lord in a book called there in verse 7, the book of the covenant, his covenant words. This is actually the first place in the book of Exodus that we read that word covenant. Children, do you know what a covenant is? A covenant is a bond between two people. And it's a bond that involves promises, commands, and threats. Do you remember that? A bond that involves promises, 
commands and threats. Marriage is a bond. Marriage is also a covenant. Your mom and dad are married. That means there's that bond between them. And in that bond, they have promised to love one another. In that marriage bond, there's also the duties that the husband and wife have. Those obligations, those commands, you could say. And in that marriage bond, there's also a warning that if they're unfaithful, then that bond could be broken. Now, God establishes his covenant. He establishes it there with Israel. He establishes it also today with us. He comes with his promises. And what is at the heart of all his promises? It's this, what he said to Abraham in Genesis 17, I will be a God unto you and to your seed after you. At the heart of his promises is his promise to be a God unto us. He repeated that throughout the Old Testament. That's also why I I highlighted the law. Before the law, we read those words, I am the Lord thy God. That's covenant language. There's this bond in which he promises to be our God. It also comes not only with promises, but with commands. God gave his instruction to the people of Israel from Mount Sinai. Those were all contained in the book of the covenant. All the things not only that he promised to do, but also what he called the people to do and to be. We read of that also in the form for baptism, didn't we? That we are obliged unto this new obedience to love him and to serve him and to fear him and to trust him and to do all those things to be his people. And the third thing is he comes also with threatenings. In chapter 22, he had warned, he that sacrificeth unto any God, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. And if thou afflict the widow and the fatherless, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword. His commands are not to be taken lightly. His promises are not to be disregarded. To fail to to love him and to trust him is to bring judgment on yourself. So God establishes this covenant. He is the one who decides what it involves. It speaks in our text of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. It's not for us to negotiate. It's not for us to bargain. It's not for us to say, I want this and I want this and I want it to be that way. No, God comes and God speaks and God establishes his covenant and all that is left for those he establishes his covenant with is to say one word, amen. So be it. Let it be. And that's what Moses, that's what the people of Israel did the next morning again. When Moses read the book of the covenant to the people, they said in verse 7, all that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient 
They agreed to that covenant of God which he had established. Do you as well? In a sense, when you made that promise just now, you said, we will do what God calls us to do. This evening, when several young members will make confession of faith, they will also be saying, yes, we will do all that God tells us to do. We will be obedient. God, in his great condescension, without asking for it, God comes and he speaks to us in our baptism and he's spoken to us ever since we have been baptized so that we would say, Amen. That's who he is. But here's the question. Can you keep your side, can I say, of the covenant? Can you do and be obedient in all that God calls you to do and be? Can you be obedient in such a way that God looks at you and say, you have kept your side of the covenant and I will keep my side of the covenant and we will stay together because you are good and I am good and the bond is good? Children, have you always been obedient? Young people, have you loved God with all your heart? Adults, have you lived in that childlike fear and reverence of this living God who comes to you. Have we? We haven't, have we? Where does that leave us? When you realize I cannot keep what I am called to keep and do, what God commands in his covenant. How can that covenant continue? How can I know this God is my God when I am the way that I am? Must God not only come with his covenant threat and his covenant wrath and his covenant warning and carry it out? In that need, you may be so thankful that God did not confirm his covenant here in an ordinary way. The ordinary way of confirming a covenant would be for the two parties to come and to kill several animals and to cut those animals in half and to place them on either side of a path and to then walk through that path with those dead animals on either side and in that way to testify, I will keep my part of the covenant and if I don't, then let my body be like these dead dead carcasses on either side of the path. If God had done so with his covenant, then all that would be left would be death because no one can keep it and no one is faithful. But God ordains his covenant, establishes it and ratifies it in such a different way here in our text. He takes an animal, yes, and he Slays has that animal slain, yes, but it's so different. 
there he is with sprinkled blood of a sacrifice. That's what we need. And that's what our second point is, the message of sprinkling. Do you see it, how God, or Moses got up early in the morning? He's there at the foot of Mount Sinai, and there he builds an altar. And around that altar, he sets 12 pillars, each one representing one of the tribes of Israel who are to be represented there around that altar. And then he has those young men take those bullocks, young bulls and oxen, and slay them and collect the blood as it spurts out in bowls. And then half of that blood is placed on that altar and turns into smoke that rises up to God with the sacrifice. And the remaining blood, he not only, with some of the remaining blood, he sprinkles the people calling in our text, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Some of those people walked away that morning with spatters of blood upon them. What did that mean? Two children this morning leave this place, this sanctuary, a sprinkling of water upon them does that mean? You may have had that water of baptism sprinkled upon you. It's dried up. It's gone. No one sees it anymore. No one. Does God not see that sign of sprinkled water upon your forehead to the end of your days? I have baptized that one. What does that mean? First of all, it means that God has provided blood with which he is pleased. The blood that should be shed should be ours. Of all the blood that deserves to be shed in this world, it's not in the first place a Muslim terrorist who who blows up other people. It's not some atheist militant activist who is doing so much in our society today. The, The most guilty blood in the world is our blood. Do you agree? But you can't look down on those others because those to whom God has given much are required, much is required of them. And God has given so much more to us than he has given to those Muslims who have never heard the gospel, so much more than perhaps those, those atheists who, who are not under the means of grace, under the gospel preaching. God has given us so much and come so close to us And therefore, our sin is the worst sin, and we deserve the greatest judgment. What a discovery it is to discover that is who I am and what I desire, deserve. But here is the blood 
of another that is being sprinkled, the blood of an ox in Exodus 24. And that ox was delivered up as a sacrifice. And before it was that was done, Aaron came and he laid his hand upon the broad head of those bulls to, to confess the sin of the people. And as it were, the sin of the people went upon the head of that bull. And that's why that bull was slain because guilt was upon it, sin was upon it, and sin demands death. And so those animals were offered up as sacrifices unto God. But that blood of the sacrifice that was sprinkled upon the people was only a sign of a far, far greater sacrifice and a far more suitable substitute than bulls and goats. It was of the one who said, offering for sin thou didst not desire. Bulls and, and rams were not enough, but lo, I come. I delight to do thy will, O God. He came. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, he came, can I say, on our side of the covenant. He came and he was born under the law to fulfill the law and to do all that God requires for someone to be in fellowship with him. He was pure and holy and he fit with God, for there to be a bond with God of love. He was righteous, and he fit with a righteous God who cannot stand sin. He did everything that all the rest of mankind failed to do, and all that covenant children fail to do and be, he did. Oh, baptism obliges us unto what? To love God. That's what he did. To fear God, to trust God, to be devoted to God perfectly all the time. And it's that which enabled him to take the place of his sinful people and say, let me be punished not for my own sin, but for the sin of my people. Let the sword of justice cause my blood to flow so that that sword would never touch them. God made his soul an offering for sin. God struck him with the sword of justice. God let him offer up himself a sacrifice for sin. His precious, precious, pure blood was shed an offering for sin. God has been pleased with that blood, only with that sacrifice. And our baptism is a testimony that God has found a blood that satisfies his justice and pleases him. And God declares that he can turn aside all his covenant threats and wrath because he's carried them all out in his Son. And God can give all his promised blessings and mercies because that blood has purchased 
all that he has promised to give. Baptism is a testimony that God has provided a blood that is pleasing to him. The second message of sprinkling is that God applies that blood to reconcile to himself. Moses wasn't simply to pour that blood upon the altar and have it rise up in smoke unto God and be accepted by God and be pleasing to God. No, God was, Moses was to take that blood and he was to sprinkle the people with it. And it was God's testimony that that blood is also something that he, he gives to them, that he applies to them so that they may share in the benefits secured by that blood. That sprinkling was about the applying of that blood. And it was a confirmation to those people of Israel that that blood was not just there, but it was a blood for them. That's why God said, Moses, sprinkle the people to show that this is a blood for them. Isn't that also the message of baptism? Not just that Christ has gone into heaven and he presents his perfect sacrifice before his Father, which is pleasing to his Father. No, the message of baptism is also that this blood is for you, to cleanse you, and that this Savior lives to apply that blood personally so that none of us would doubt the willingness of the Savior to cleanse also a wretch like me. He comes so personally of his willingness to cleanse also you. That water is his testimony of his willingness to apply that blood. But thirdly, it's also a message that God fulfills his promises for the sake of that blood. How can God be our God in that saving way? How can he remove his curse from us and give us his blessing? How can he turn away his wrath and give us his favor? How can he be a God of tender compassion in the midst of all our sufferings? How can he be a God of pardon in the midst of all our guilt? How can he be a God of strength in the midst of all our helplessness and weakness? How can he be our God of hope in the midst of so many things that would discourage? How How can he be a God of peace in the midst of all those accusations against us? How can he be a God who lives with us and is not against us, who is for us? God is holy. God is pure. How can he be a God who fulfills all his promises of grace in sinners like us? There you see how. Only, only. For the sake of that blood. That's the only reason. It's the only way. In his covenant, he comes with promises and he seals them with blood. 
so that when you come to realize I don't deserve God to ever have any dealings with me and and to fulfill any of his promises of grace in a sinner like me, he says, remember your baptism. I do it not for your sake. I do it for the sake of that blood of Christ. God fulfills his covenant promises in unworthy, sinful covenant children for the sake of that blood of Christ. What a message that blood of the covenant has. And that's to lead us to the enjoyment of that grace, the fulfillment of his promises, the enjoyment of the covenant, which is our third point. The enjoyment of the covenant. What conclusion do you draw from the fact that God comes to us, comes to you in your baptism? Comes also with that sprinkling of the sign of the blood of Christ. You say we are baptized. God washes Christ died for our sins. God loves us. My salvation is set. I can live my life. Is that how you respond? Is that so? It's striking, isn't it, that when you see what happens after this event here in Exodus 24, These people are sprinkled with this blood of the covenant which testifies of God's grace and of his his mercy and of his cleansing and his forgiveness and also of his fulfillment of all those promises to be a God unto them for the sake of that blood. They go home with that sprinkling of blood upon them. But what does it say later? With many of them, God was not pleased, and they died in the wilderness in their unbelief and in their impenitence. Hebrews 3 and 4 quotes Psalm 95, which speaks of that. And why was that? Is it not because they trusted in the sign, but they did not flee to God for the fulfillment of what he had spoken and to enjoy the reality of what he had promised there as he ratified the covenant with blood? Isn't that the message also of Hebrews 4 when it says, Unto us was a gospel preached as well as unto them preached that day in Exodus 24. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. That sprinkling was a preaching of the gospel, which was a call for faith. And anything short of faith is to despise the message of that blood, despise the message of our baptism. And that was not only a danger for Israel as they perished in the wilderness, but also for us today. Some of the most solemn words in the word of God are in Hebrews 10, verse 28 and 29. Where we read, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. 
of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Despised the blood of the covenant. Behold the blood of the covenant. To despise that is the most dreadful thing. To do so as one who knows I'm unconverted, and you live on unconverted. To be unconverted is to be unbelieving, is to be despising the blood of the covenant, counting it an unholy thing, a worthless thing, an empty thing. To despise the blood of the covenant, to despise the message of your baptism and what it testifies of that cleansing power of the blood of Christ and to live on without that blood cleansing you is to be asking God for his severest judgment that can never come upon a sinner. That's the same message for those who turn baptism and the covenant into simply a message that we are baptized and we are members of the church and we try to be good people and we try to be faithful and we try to read our Bibles every day and we try to do the right thing and we trust in that If that's how we're living, then we're also despising the blood of the covenant. We're turning that covenant of grace into a new covenant of works. And as long as I am faithful and as long as I do my best, then God will be pleased with me. And you may even be satisfied with yourself and think God should be satisfied with you as well. But if that is how you treat your baptism, then you are trampling on the Son of God. Behold the blood of the covenant. The message of that blood is that we are unclean. The message of that blood is that we deserve the judgment of God. And the message of that blood is that Christ has come and he has shed his blood to cleanse from all sin so that whether in our unrighteousness or whether in our self-righteousness, we would come to realize we cannot do without that blood of Christ and it would drive us out to him, pleading for his mercy, for his cleansing. And that we would realize we can never do without that blood of Christ, not only to save initially, but also day by day, even as his people, you cannot do a day, a moment without that blood of Christ. And he says, behold the blood of the covenant. When I 
gave the sign of it to you. I knew what you would be. I knew what a sinner you would be. And that's why I gave you that sign to direct you to me and to my sacrifice that cleanses from all sin. Do you see how our baptism, which has sprinkled us with the sign of the blood of the covenant, is to bring us on our knees before God? pleading the power of that blood, confessing, Lord, all my works are stained with sin. All my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I cannot keep my side of the covenant. I need him, him to fulfill his promises graciously in me. Do so, Lord, for the sake of the blood. This is the way in which God fulfills his promises by drawing to him as sinful and unclean, drawing to him for cleansing. This is the great delight of the Spirit of Christ, to draw to Christ and to take those things of Christ, to take that blood of Christ. It's the Spirit ultimately who says, behold the blood of the covenant, behold the Lamb of God in such a way that you can't stay away. But he draws you and you receive that cleansing power. It's through that new and living way that you have access into the grace of God, the access that is in the way of reconciliation to this God, to know this God as your God in that saving way. Our baptism directs us to him. Through that way, he is opened up. That's what Hebrews 10 makes so clear, doesn't it? When it exhorts in verse 19 and following, having brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He says, this is what it's about. Not just having our foreheads sprinkled with that water, but that that sprinkling on our foreheads leads us to this throne of grace to have our very hearts cleansed and our consciences, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. See, our evil conscience, it always accuses. And it says, who are you to approach unto God? He is holy and you are not. You don't fit together. And that evil accusing conscience is what keeps you at a distance from God. How is access? Behold the blood of the covenant. Having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. It's in the way of that blood applied to your very heart you may come, knowing his mercy for the sake of the blood of Christ. The way to be delivered from an accusing conscience is not just trying to, to suppress it, but letting all those accusations lead to the blood that clears that guilt away and gives access unto God. And the beautiful thing is that that blood 
applied to your heart is what also constrains to live for him. There's, one, there's another text in Hebrews 9 which speaks of sprinkling, where it says, if the blood of bulls and of goats sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself out without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, there's such a power in this blood of Christ to purge your conscience, not only that accusing conscience so that there's access to God, but also purge it from dead works, from all that formalism and thinking that God should be pleased with me because of what I am. No, that blood delivers from all that to serve the living God from the heart out of love to such a God who is so cleansed with the blood of Christ. This is a secret to knowing this God and living before this God as your God of grace and with a desire and with a love in such a way that that those Ten Commandments that we hear every Lord's Day again are not just a burden. These are the things that you have to do, otherwise you'll be punished. These are the words of the God who says, I am the Lord thy God who brought you out of the house of bondage to love me, to serve me. There's such a power in the blood of Christ, blessed, applied, worked out by the Spirit of Christ, filled with that delight to follow him to walk with him, to yield to him. And that's why our baptism says, behold the blood of the covenant. It directs us to him and his blood. Let me in closing just say a few words to to parents as this is a baptismal service. You have a great calling as parents, not just the ones here in the front of the church, but all of us, including myself. A great calling. Who is sufficient for this? We've said when we've had our children baptized, all what God requires of us, we will do to the utmost of our ability. But what is that? Who is sufficient? Parents. Let it bring you to the blood, to the blood, to cleanse us as parents. It's not just our children who need the blood. We need the blood more than our children. All our insufficiency bring us to that blood, and the sign of it was also placed upon us long ago. And when he placed it on you, he knew you would be a parent. And he knew you would need his blood as a parent and as a person before him. Bring you to him that he would cleanse us as parents, renew us as parents, and constrain us to, to come before his throne through that new and living way for ourselves 
and for our children, then let us teach our children. Let us be honest with our children. We love our children and we, we like to think well of our children. And, and that, that's okay. But to listen to what the Word of God says. That's why we teach you children that you're unclean. We teach you that you can never be good enough for God to be pleased with you. You can do things to you, and your parents say that was good and they're happy. But God requires perfection. And none of us are perfect. And that's why children, we need the blood of Christ to wash all our sin away. You do. The youngest children here need that because we're all born unclean. Children, you're not too young to be cleansed by the blood of Christ because already when you were so young, he gave you the sign of that cleansing in your baptism. Children, will you not come before God and say, cleanse, oh, cleanse me from my sin? Really, every one of us needs it. And he has, he has declared that he is willing to cleanse young children and old grandparents who sit in church this morning. Because the message of baptism is, behold the blood of the covenant. Have you seen it? Have you seen it with those eyes of faith? That's sufficient. Sufficient to cleanse even a sinner like you. Sufficient to give you access unto God. Sufficient to be the way whereby God fulfills his promises of grace in a sinner like you. In such a way that you can only, only be pleased with that blood. Not yourself. Not what you've done. Not what you promised to do. Only the blood. He says this morning, behold, the blood of the covenant. Amen. Lord God, we pray to thee in this, in this morning, and thou hast come to us in thy word, and thou dost come in the visible preaching of thy word in baptism. And thou art so honest and truthful and showing our need of that blood, but so gracious in testifying of it. Who are we, O Lord? Thou wouldst testify of a blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel, that speaks of pardon and of reconciliation and of blessing. O oh Lord, that none of us would be able to count it an unholy thing and despise it. 
If that is what we have been doing, Lord, bring to repentance. We plead even today for the very sake of that blood. And Lord, if we struggle to know its cleansing power, come, we pray, O Spirit of Christ, and take the things of Christ, take this blood of Christ, that we may see it and be pleased with it and rest upon it and know its power. And that so we would live out of the blood of Christ day by day and that we may enjoy in through the blood thy blessing, thy grace, whether we are children or parents, whether we are married and have children or do not have children, whether we are single, We pray for each one of us. Fulfill thy words of promise. By thy own grace and power, to the glory of thy own name. Keep us, Lord, further in this day. And wilt thou bring the congregation together again in this evening. We ask these things and give thee thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.